0: So this is the last in this series called Mixed Messages. Like I said earlier, we're going to be starting our Easter series next week. Uh, so so delighted to be able to bring that, uh, that. I've written the first of those messages, and I'm just really, really excited to bring that to you. But today, before we finish Mixed Messages, this is sort of the message that maybe is an umbrella over all of the other messages. And then we're going, so we're going to talk about it for a minute, then a pause at this table uh, for communion today. I want you to just uh, see some things that I, I did a very, very quick Google search, and I want you to read these messages uh, that I even just, I even pulled the memes right up off there. Vaughn, if you could help me. Live your truth. Others may decide to think less of you, but it isn't your job to prove your worth. It's your job to live knowing your worth can never be defined by another's assumptions. You are strong. (laughs) Wait, be careful, be careful, be careful. We're going with this. A mixed message, remember, remember. (laughs) You are strong. You are brave. You are worthy. You are enough. Hold your head high. Be proud. Carry on. How about this one? What I know for sure is that you feel real joy in direct proportion to how connected you are to living your truth. If Oprah said it, it has to be true, right? Step into your authentic truth because your truth will light up the world. That's very inspirational. How about this one? Say your truth kindly but fully and completely. Live your truth gently but totally and consistently. Change your truth easily and quickly when your experience brings you new clarity. That's like, that's like a whole graphic that somebody just put up in their house. And you read some of these things and rightly so, you go, yeah, like some of those things are like, yes, right? Like, yes, live your truth. Speak your truth. Some of that is really important. Be your authentic self, period. I love that for you. I love that for you. And I'll admit that this is a tough one. This is a very, very tough one because, again, like every mixed message, there's a reason we call it a mixed message because here's the deal. You, friend, were created in the very image of God. Psalm 139 says, maybe you know this one, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is no joke. That is no joke that you were knit together in your mother's womb that you were seen and, and known. Uh, Ephesians tells us that you are God's handy uh, his handiwork, his workmanship some translations say. Some see even say you are his masterpiece. That you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Like you you have so much purpose and it's authentically true to you. That's correct. There is absolutely no sense in scripture anywhere that you are supposed to be anyone but who God created you to be. Yes? Correct. We know that that's true. You are uniquely created. And so, and so this is a very mixed message, this idea of living your truth that you literally hear everywhere in our culture because it speaks to something that is applaudable. It speaks to something real and true and something that you need to know. And when self-esteem in our world is at an all-time low, it is important to know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and seen and known and have purpose from your creator. But the problem is... While it's good to try and uh, to not try to be something that you're not, because it's just it's terrible and empty and soul-sucking to be sure. The, The problem is with this phrase live your truth, because it asks a whole bunch of questions. If you're supposed to live your truth, right, but what does that actually mean? Because what's true for me may not be true for you. And you have to ask the question, is that mean then how can anything ever be true at all? You just start into this philosophical circling of the drain, really. Because when we say true or truth in this context, what I'm really saying is when you say live your truth, what does it actually say? I'm actually saying, listen, I want you to do what feels good, what makes you happy, what makes your life better. I'm going to live my truth, I'm going to do what feels good, I'm going to do what makes me happy, I'm going to do what makes my life better. And if that's the case, then how can it actually be true? What does that even then mean, if it just is about what it feels like to me? So the logic of that cultural message really does start to collapse on itself pretty quickly. Hopefully you see that. If we're all trying to make ourselves happy how does that not end up in a chaotic mess of selfish pursuits and broken relationships and anxious striving? And you may disagree. You may think, no, I think this. if we all could just do this right, we could make the world a better place. And I'm just going to disagree with that statement because when I look around the world at so many people trying to live their truth, all I do see is a chaotic mess of broken relationships and selfish pursuits and anxious striving. In fact... I'll just level with you that when I look into my own heart, that's what I see too. That when I'm looking for the things to make myself happy, that this is where I end up every time. So here's the difference for us as Christ followers. When the culture says, live your truth, you're probably going to guess this one already if you've been around the church for any amount of time. The Bible says, live the truth. There's a really big difference between those two things, and I hope I can convince you, if you haven't convinced you yet, that that living your truth isn't actually your best life ever. um, I'm hoping I can show you that it really can be when you live the truth. The Christ-centered life really does claim, in case you're new to this, it really does claim that there is absolute truth, and it absolutely will set you free. So let's turn to John 14. Together, um, this is of course in the U Version Bible app. Under More and then Events, you can follow along there, uh, or it'll be on the screen for you as well. If you're uh, looking at this section of scripture. Just notice of course the context that we are reading John chapter 14 in the NIV has a heading that says Jesus comforts his disciples. We're going to talk about that context in just a second but notice that that's what we're talking about. This is a message of comfort for his disciples that we get this from. John 14 starting at verse 1 Jesus says, "Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If" that were not so, I would have told you, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If you're, if you're reading in context before this, you're going to see really clearly how distraught the disciples are when Jesus says this to them. They have entered Jerusalem for the last time. They maybe don't know that yet, but they know something is wrong. Something is up. Uh, Jesus is speaking clearly to them about his death. He has washed their feet. It's extraordinarily unusual. He has told them that he's going to be betrayed. He's told them that he's going to be denied, that they're all going to abandon him. And this is the context of this scripture. And you can sort of feel like that's why do not let your hearts be troubled, that's the opening phrase there. Jesus starts to talk about heaven and what they can look forward to. It's not all bad news, not by a long shot. He starts to tell them about that. And Thomas anxiously asks what they were all probably thinking. I'm going to talk about Thomas a little bit on Easter Sunday. I'm going to talk about him. He gets a really bad rap, this doubting Thomas fellow. I swear to you, he's just asking the question that everybody else was thinking. So thank you, Thomas, for helping clarify some things. That's all I'm saying about that. Okay, anyway. He he is saying, like... They were all probably going, what on earth? I don't understand. So Thomas just says it out loud. So thanks, Thomas. appreciate that. How can we get there if we don't know the way to where you're going? So Jesus makes this incredible statement that we probably have heard. Even if you haven't been in church your whole life, you probably have heard this, that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are actually in this very small statement, very powerful uh, statement, Three very important Jewish concepts here, which, which is v- super valuable. Because, you know, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So here we understand that uh, Jesus says he's the way. And this is what the Jewish people were always talking about, that God was the way. Isaiah 30 says, this is the way, walk in it. Jesus says he's the truth. In Psalm 86, it says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in truth. Very important concept in the Jewish religion. And life, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, Proverbs 10. Look at those three verses together. I mean, these are just examples that you read throughout the Old Testament about these three concepts. And this is no, it, it's, it's not a... It wasn't sort of just like a flippant thing that Jesus said. He's literally saying, "I am fulfilling everything that you are looking for. Everything that has been promised to you is now being fulfilled in me." Is what he's saying to them, and that's the, their their cultural, religious understanding of this. And so we, the promises for us, of course, today as well. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. These are distinct but completely interdependent concepts that have always been a part of God's identity. And what is Jesus saying then? That I am that God. I am the one who is able to do these things that you have been searching for. And notice how in the scriptures in the Old Testament, the way, the truth, and the life are not three separate concepts at all, are they? They become like, you you need to, to know the truth, and you need to know the path, and so you have to know who the way is. Like They're all completely connected together. So Jesus is saying here, if you follow him, you will be living the truth, you will find real life, and all of that is found in him. So so much so that he's not just saying, uh, I can show you the way, I can show you the truth. He says, I am. He embodies these things, which is no surprise because he is God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Of course, course, Thomas is saying, you know, if we don't know the destination, how can we know the way? Jesus' response is amazing. He says, you know the destination, because I just told you, actually. (laughs) Just so you know. Were you listening? Were you just freaked out, Thomas? It's okay. I just told you, and you actually already do know the way. Just follow me. Uh, One of the commentators had a great illustration for this, William Barclay. He says it like this. Suppose we are in a strange town and ask for directions. Suppose the person asked uh, says, okay, take the first to the right and the second to the left, cross the square, go past the church, take the third one on the right, the road you want is the fourth on the left. The chances are that you will be lost before you get halfway. But suppose the person we ask says, come, I'll take you there. In that case, the person to us is the way, and we cannot miss it. That's what Jesus does for us. He not only gives advice and directions, he takes us by the hand and leads us. He strengthens us and guides us personally every day. He does not tell us about the way. He is the way. I love that illustration. Because more often than not, life feels like that first set of directions, doesn't it? How on earth am I supposed to know what to do next? How can I choose? How can I fix this issue over here? How can I cope with this situation over there? How are the days so long and the years flying by so fast? What am I doing with my life? Do I even matter? What is this all about? What is my truth? How can I live in my truth? These, all of these questions in our head. And then there's Jesus. That's oh, it's just always the third option with Jesus taking me by the hand and saying, let's walk. I know where we're going. I know where we're going. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Yeah, you know, this, is, this is maybe seems like a, an exclusive thing, that Jesus is the only way to God. The only way to be in a right relationship with God is to come to Jesus with your life. But why is that? It's because we learn through the rest of the gospel account, if you read the story of the gospel, it's because Jesus is the only one who did what was necessary to pay for our sinful rebellion against God. He was the only one qualified to make the payment, and so then he becomes the only way to God. No one else can do that work for us. Not us, not some other great teacher, not some other great way. Jesus is the way to God because he's the only one who qualified for the job. And it's the most uh, inclusively exclusive thing I can think of because there is one way to God. It says right here. But the invitation to that way is absolutely open to everyone, without exception. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what race you're from. I don't care what your family's from. I don't care any of, any of that stuff. Nothing disqualifies you from the invitation to know Jesus. It's the most inclusively exclusive thing I can think of. It's, all, it's for you. If, if, if you can hear my voice, it's for you. And so while the idea of living your truth, which is that cultural message, has some appeal for sure, it is much more appealing to me to follow Jesus in the long run. Why? Because living your truth promises you freedom that it cannot deliver on. But following Jesus brings you the real thing. Jesus actually says this. I'm not making that up. That's just not like a good thing I want to put on a plaque. I'm telling you, this is what Jesus said in John chapter 8. It's another really, uh, really well-known passage of Scripture. But let's put it in this context of the culture telling you to live your truth and Jesus saying something very different to you. It says this, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is a really... (laughs) a really ridiculous kind of statement from the Jews here. We've never been a slave to anyone. I don't know, are you guys reading the, uh, the Bible in a year plan with us? You've been in Exodus? Like, there was 400 years of slavery. Okay, but uh, okay. spiritually speaking, for sure. Like, you know, you, you didn't have to bow down to other gods and that kind of stuff. And now in this moment, in this cultural moment when this was written, they are, in fact being occupied by the Romans. <laughs> so they're just like, but they still, they're feeling their, their pride as Jewish people are like, we have never been a slave to anyone because they, we know our true heritage in the Lord. is basically the idea here. Like we know, who we, we know who we really are. We're sons of Abraham and no one can take that from us. I don't care who the government is. And that's kind of the feeling, it's, but it is kind of read as a bit of a ridiculous statement. And Jesus insists to them, that this is not about religious heritage that brings freedom. Not true freedom. Freedom is a very precious thing to the Jews for this very reason, because of their history. But it's not, it's not anything to do with that that brings freedom. What he says brings freedom is truth, real truth. And Jesus insists that even those who think they are free, in this case, they were because they were sons of Abraham, but you can, of course, apply that to our culture, those who think they are free are actually slaves of sin. And slaves can be sold and traded, slaves have no security, uh, slaves have no future, but those who are freed by the son of a large household, is the metaphor here, are actually truly free. So when you are living apart from Christ and apart from his teaching, it might seem to you that you have the power to do whatever you like and you are so free indeed. But Jesus' point here is that you've actually lost that power. You are a slave to the habits and the self-indulgences and the pursuit of pleasure that has taken a hold of your life. And he's just saying, listen, if you live like that, no one who lives like that, no one who sins can ever be said to be actually free. But if you want the experience of true freedom, of soul soaring freedom, the invitation here is to take Jesus by the hand and let him show you the way. Let him define truth and let him give you abundant and eternal life. I came across a great book about this topic. Uh, and a lot of the, uh, the rest of the series that we've just been in uh, kind of is touched on throughout and I actually read it at the end of my study time, uh, but I would highly recommend it. It's uh, called Your, Live Your Truth and Other Lies by Alyssa Childers, uh, who's great. I listen to the audiobook on Scribe. You can get it at Kitchener Public Library and also on Amazon if you're looking for it in case you want to know. Uh, it was great. It was great for studying for this. And as I was reading it, I just mentioned it because it was a great resource if you want to study further. Um, there's so much good scripture in there, a great concepts in there. But I, she reminded me of something as I was uh, reading this book that I was like, yeah, this, I mean, this is really what this boils down to for us. In Mark eight, thirty-four to 37, it says this. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So paraphrased for our topic today, whoever wants to live in their truth will lose it, In the end, but whoever gives up their truth for the truth, Jesus, will gain everything. So, why would you want to live your truth when the price of living for yourself is your very soul? As I reflected on this, I just wondered why this wasn't more obvious. In our lives, or why it wasn't the more natural thing to do? If if Jesus' freedom is really so incredible, if we really are walking around as slaves to our sin and and, in a bondage that we, we, we can't get out of on our own, why is it this more of a message that we understand and can apply? And I wonder if, very simply, that the reason that we cling to the world's message to live your truth is because we're actually just mostly afraid. We're really uncertain and anxious about life. That's what I see all around me. We've been hurt and betrayed. I don't know anybody who can't say that about their lives. Maybe if you're really young in the room, and I'm sorry to tell you that's coming for you. (laughs) That's a really excellent message today. Just be encouraged, friends. You will be hurt and betrayed in your life. If you haven't, just get ready. We really we find it hard to trust people deeply because of these experiences. That's just real. We struggle to give and receive love unselfishly because we haven't found unselfish love to be true in so many of our relationships. We haven't found it to be worthy or dependable in so many ways when we are looking at it in human relationships, and that's accurate. I mean, as much as we can blame other people, we also know when we look inside how we don't love well all the time, and we've hurt others, that we've offended, that we've betrayed. We've, you know, we're all responsible for that. We do this so poorly. We struggle. We struggle to give and receive love so much. It's valid. It's valid that we are anxious, and afraid in the world. This world is broken and sinful. This world is awaiting redemption. Oh, thank God it's coming. Like, he is coming to make all things new, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So all of these feelings of fear and anxiety, of struggling to trust and to love in a broken world is valid, and none of that's untrue. But listen, Jesus isn't a dictator who demands obedience. That's not what we're reading here today. He instead is the author of perfect, unconditional love. He is the one who, who is calling you into what you were already created to be. And it is the safest, most loved place you can you can't even imagine with your mind right now, based on your experiences with other people, you can't compare those things together. So while I recognize that we live in a broken and untrusting and unworthy world in so many ways, we are being called into relationship by a God who is none of those things. John, 1 John 4 15 to 19 says this. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they live in God. First of all, that's just full stop. So simple and amazing. And we know and rely on the love of God, that love God has for us. God is love. There's an identity again. Whoever lives in lo- love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. How do you have confidence? How do you, how do you live in a world unafraid but confident? It's because you live in this world like Jesus. What does that mean? It means he has transformed your life. There is no fear, therefore, in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But your punishment has been paid for already. So the one who fears is not made perfect in love, but we love because he first loved us. See, we aren't the people who are trying to run around and live in our truth, but really are just trying to make it less scary to live in the world. We are the people who don't have fear because we are perfectly loved by our Father and live in Christ. So we don't even have to strive after those things. We can take the hand of Jesus and walk with him confidently. We don't respond with fear. We don't have to look for our own truth. We don't have to try to make it up. What was that last quote that I gave you? And just change it when it makes more sense to you otherwise. We don't have to be untrusting. We don't have to be unable to freely love others. We can take the hand of Jesus confidently, knowing his perfect love will lead us to the Father in real truth. Not my version of the truth, as narrow and inconsistent as that is at best, but into real truth and real life. And his truth leads to my freedom because it's for my flourishing. He's offering it to me freely as a gift. No strings. And that is the perfect love of the Father for us. And there is no greater display of that love than what we see on the cross. You want to talk about sacrificial, unconditional love. While we were still, you know the scripture? While we were still awesome and perfect and living in our truth. Now while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't care about him We didn't know him. We weren't looking for him. We weren't even born yet. And Jesus knew all of that. He knew that people would reject him. He knew that people would say no to his offer. And he did it anyway. That's real truth. That's the kind of love that makes it so you don't have to be a person who walks in fear. Matt, can you bring the team? And uh, we're going to prepare ourselves to... (laughs) Vaughn, we don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. (laughs) I just saw the screen flash to that. That's the, um, we're going to go into a time of communion and gather around this table. And I want to invite you, uh, if, you're, if you have made a decision to follow Christ, then this is for you, this is a moment of worship for you, uh, that we're going to gather together and remember what Christ did. And, and, and as the scripture says, proclaim it, proclaim it together until he comes again. If you are not a believer, you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, uh, that's okay. This is a great opportunity for you to watch and see what happens here. Uh, just to be able to say, what, what's this all about? And, and just uh, kind of observe this moment. You can stay right where you are. It's, it's no problem at all. There's absolutely no judgment about that. We're really glad that you're here to, to hear about Jesus today. But as we gather around this table, I want you to consider your own life and your own truth. How much of your life um, have you decided? Yeah, no, I I'm I'm all in. I am taking the hand of Jesus. I am not one who walks in fear. I am one who knows how loved I am. I can see, I can see this incredible display of love by my Savior, and I am confident in who he is and where he is leading me. I am in I am in the truth. I am with him. Or are there any parts of our lives where we, we are still saying, yeah, but I, I want to hold on to this particular thing, or I like that idea, but I am not prepared to give up this, that, or the other thing. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to lead you to, but do you trust him? Do you trust your life in the hand of Jesus? Do you trust your life when you look at, at what he has done for you? Are you living your life as though that's true? That someone... Literally, before you knew them, while you were still in sin, loved you enough. For the joy set before him, it says, that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. This joy set before him, knowing what he would be able to do for us to bring us into right relationship with the Father. Is that where your heart is? Or are there some things that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about? You've been trying to do it your own way. You believed the message of the culture. And this morning, you're just being invited to lay it down and to trust him again. So think about that as we use these emblems this morning as as images, as tangible images of the, the body and blood of Christ. Let your mind drift and wander to the cross, thinking about what that means for you, and then asking the Holy Spirit to show you how you should be living in response to that great gift that you've received.